1: But there's only one road to Atlanta. A high drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Dansby Swanson. Player out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzy Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for an inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing. And it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road2Atlanta. the Number Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize recognize me for my work over on BatteryPower.com. Where I've been the deputy site manager since 2018 and the minor league editor since 2015. This is Monday, July 18th, and we have just finished day two of the 2022 MLB draft. And as is customary, we are recapping every single day of the MLB draft. We, if you haven't listened to last night's episode, make sure you go ahead and listen to that first. You'll get all of our thoughts on the Braves' first four picks. This is our day two recap, and we have the same crew back for day two here. First, we have, if you can follow him over on Twitter, at BravesMILB, Garrett Spain. How are you, buddy? I
3: am uh, still doing good. Still tired. Got a whole day of the draft to go, but yeah, it's nice to finish up a lot earlier and get uh, get this started.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a late night for all of us last night. Uh, they, they're going to have to figure out the format of that draft and trying to you know, actually like either speed up a little bit, start it earlier, do something different because the, you know, it getting, you know, finishing up those first two rounds, you know, at 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, that's not, that's not, that's not getting it done for me. Uh, But another guy who was staying up late with us and we ultimately had to c- kind of uh, figure out a way to record while being incredibly sleep deprived. Uh, You can follow him over on Twitter at Matt Powers 31. Matt, what is going on, my friend?
4: Uh, not too much. Just enjoyed watching the draft today. Braves really did a very solid job across the board on day two. I, I liked the day, so I'm looking forward to talking about it.
2: Yeah, we actually, we, we were kind of troubleshooting some of Matt's audio issues. Uh, and as it turns out, the, the simplest solution is the one that we thought that was going to work the least well. Uh, so hopefully the audio is a little bit better for uh, for him to just go around and we're gonna be able, everyone's going to be able to hear. Uh, but the important thing isn't, you know, talking tech or uh, talking about how tired we are, is you are here to talk about the p- picks that the Braves made on day two. Rounds three through ten were the, were the what that was going on in the draft today. And going into the day, we had some suspicions that the Braves had some money to spend. Where we weren't sure exactly how much extra money they had. Turns out it doesn't seem like it, maybe it wasn't a crazy amount of money, but they really spread that money out well. Uh, I'm just putting my two cents in. I really think that they did an absolutely excellent job overall, and we're going to kind of get into each of the picks individually and why we like them and why we we're a little bit puzzled by them. We're a little, not, not 100% certain about them. But, Garrett, first, I wanted to throw it to you. What was kind of your
3: impression from the day overall? Yeah, I, I think we were – I think we kind of knew after the third pick. We went into the third round there with the idea of they're either going to get – someone big like a Carson Millbrandt who didn't fall to them ultimately or you know they would go well over slot with one pick and then kind of go senior signs the rest of the way or we would see them kind of spread it around and overall it looks like they spread it around and they got a number of players here that are going to be interesting additions into the system and we talk you know we've talked a lot about depth and this is one of those drafts where they've added a lot of legitimate prospects that are going to be depth in the system
2: Yeah, it's kind of wild. I mean, again, this is the one thing that the the organization really needed. They needed to get some upside in their system. They needed some bats. They certainly added some of those on day two. And again, just getting just getting some quantity. The lower levels of the system, you have to squint your eyes. There's certainly some interesting players in the lower levels of the minor leagues right now, but there you kind of have to, you know, if this and this and this goes right, then you have a really interesting player as opposed to guys like, yeah, he's, he's going to figure it out. And you have a lot more certainty about it. And you have a lot more kind of faith that there's a real ceiling to them. Matt, what about you? I know you kind of alluded to your feelings at the top, but I wanted to kind of give you a chance to talk a little bit about it.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I loved it. It was a about depth. Uh, really my only complaint at all is that instead of spending big on one more big addition that would have fit as well with the day ones, they went with a couple guys that were a tier below them overall, but they loaded up on quantity and guys that are legitimate prospects, a bunch of guys that if they're not in the top thirty at midseason will at least be considered for the top thirty immediately. So they did really load up in terms of filling the lower minors.
2: Yeah, we're actually going to have to probably do a conference call at some point, just to kind of talk about this top 30, because there's enough guys that are at least interesting that we're going to have to kind of sort out. Cause they, you know, at the end of the day we, we do put, we're going to be putting on our top 30 with draftees included uh, at mid season. And we want to be able to get, get a good sense. It's kind of where these guys should be. And, you know, that's going to require a lot of work ahead of time. So hopefully we'll be able to get that sorted out, but Let's go ahead and do the the pick-by-pick pick breakdown. Obviously, on day one, the Braves picked Owen Murphy, J.R. Ritchie, Cole Phillips, and Blake Burkhalter. All four are arms. The first three are prep arms. One's a college arm out of Auburn. Uh, we were a very big fan of that draft class. Uh, certainly it wasn't what we were expecting out of the Braves. And I don't know if the Braves were even expecting to do that going into day one. It's just kind of that's how the draft broke down for them. They had the strategy in place and they had the guys that they liked and overall really, really exciting kind of additions to the the minor leagues. But today started off with some bats and uh, the first one that came off the board for the Braves was uh, a name that uh, I had heard they were certainly at least entertaining the possibility of of trying to bring into the fold, and that was catcher Drake Baldwin out of Missouri State University. Matt, I'll go to you first here. Drake's an interesting fit. Uh, it certainly seems like the Braves were pretty hell-bent on at least getting another decent catcher in the system. It's an Certainly now with everyone graduated or traded away, it's an area of weakness in the system, uh, to be sure. A lot of organizational depth type guys in the, in, the, in the minor leagues at the moment. And, you know, Drake Baldwin, he's certainly better than that. But how, how much can we realistically expect from him and what are your thoughts about him?
4: I mean, he's definitely not a Shailang Lears or a Contreras when they were at their peak, so you're not getting that kind of catcher. But he's a bat-first guy. He, he's hit really well. I mean, it's not the ACC SEC Pac-12, but you can't really ask for much more than he did this year because his offensive breakout really came this year. But he, he's a good hitter. He's got some power, Uh, probably not going to end up being quite plus power in game, but with his ability to hit, uh, there's a good bat right there. His bigger questions really are defensively. Uh, I don't think he's a guy that's necessarily going to have to move positions, but he's definitely going to have to put in some work to be able to stick behind the plate, but he's a solid catching prospect with the stealing of being maybe an above average starter if everything works out
2: Garrett what about you man what when when they picked Drake Baldwin what was going through your head what were your thoughts
3: yeah it's interesting you know I've kind of observed this with them and I think they're very confident in their ability to teach guys to play defense you look at Baldwin you look at a guy that they got later on in um Andrew Keck you look at them trading away shangling and they don't seem to necessarily put a lot of emphasis, at least in some of the transactions that they made, on present defense, and they're kind of looking at guys that they can project. And so it seems that they have a lot of confidence in projecting guys defensively, and we've actually seen that at other positions. We've seen the work they've done in the outfield with some guys. We've seen what they did with a guy like Braden shoemaker at shortstop. They have confidence in their ability to teach defense, and getting Baldwin a guy that we know can hit and we expect is going to be able to hit at a high level. If they can develop him defensively, that becomes a much more intriguing option and a guy that is going to be a much higher rated prospect than we expect him to be now, given where his defense is now. Um, And so, I mean, I love the offensive tools there. I love the ability, and we'll see how he develops defensively.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm always tickled when there's also a lefty batting catcher uh, in a lot of ways because you'll never see them actually throw with their left hand uh, unless they have little or no aspirations of actually playing the position. Um, I I will say that I tend to agree with you, Garrett. Is like I think that they they have a pretty good system in place to at least get catchers to being passable defensively. Um, and that bar is significantly lower probably going forward uh with the running games aren't really something you have to control quite as much. maybe the league shifts uh away from uh you know maybe shifts towards trying to steal more bases as there's less catchers that can actually control the running game that'd be an interesting development going forward, but with the knee in the dirt catching you know you have there's it's a different skill set uh in terms of what you have to do or not do, and a different type of agility and they like again the, the organizational depth guys or guys that are more fringy prospects. You look at guys like Logan Brown or even a Tyler Tolvi, uh, Javier Valdez. Those guys are good catchers. I wouldn't call them great catchers, but they're good catchers. They do a good. They just do a good job behind the plate. I think that they have a. They have a good system for coaching catchers in place. And if they think these guys can hit reasonably well and can, you know, hold up behind the plate, that's one of the biggest things is just, you know, are, are they used to kind of, are they used to crouching down back there and can they physically hold up to it? But if they can, they can teach these guys to play the position and then it just goes down to whether they hit enough. And in Baldwin's case, there's a lot of, you know, there's certainly a lot of analytics that say that he's going to be a good hitter. I think that there's, it's more of a split camp. I think if you were to ask scouts as to kind of whether or not he's going, how good he's going to be going forward, but overall, this is this is a guy who could be a really valuable addition. And in the third round, you're not they're not investing a super high pick on this, so it's not something like you know if it doesn't work out, it kind of it is what it is. But you know they also made sure to get a guy that was relatively high on their board rather than again relying on a senior sign or a guy later in the draft, you know, or a maybe even a prep catcher to kind of hopefully figure things out over the long term. This guy has some experience at a real program, and hopefully that's you know that gets the job done. Uh, so Garrett, I'm going to go to the next guy with you, which is David McCabe, uh, took us a second to kind of get information on him. Uh, but by all accounts, he is a guy, uh, third baseman out of UNC Charlotte. He can just flat out hit and hit tanks. Uh, Seems like a really kind of a fascinating pick for the Braves, not a super high, a big school, not a big conference, but for considering if you were just looking at the school and a name, which is not one that necessarily pops off the, you know pops off the page in terms of, you know, knowing who they are. This is actually a pretty exciting bat. What do you think Garrett?
3: I really love the bat on McCabe. I mean, this is huge power potential. He's a very strong, He can hit the ball a long way. Um, There are some questions about defensively. Is he going to stick at third base? The Braves announced him as a third baseman. So we assume that he is going to start at third base in the system. And that again, kind of gets to, they think they can teach guys defense defense. Um, he hit, He's hit very well, he has a great approach to the play. He draws a lot of walks. I do wonder how much of his not striking out a ton is the league that he plays in He's not facing in a lot of top talent. You know he's a guy that I see that his bat speed isn't great. it's just kind of averages fringe average there and it will be – for me at least, I'm interested to see how he's going to handle velocity, especially up in the zone as he advances the level because it seems like when you watch – the few videos that we've seen of him, he has a simple swing. There's nothing – there's no red flags in terms of his mechanics, but when he's driving balls, there are pitches that are down in the zone. they are pitches that are away from him, and it's going to be interesting to see how he's able to catch up to it and turn on balls that are inside and balls that are up because I don't see a guy there that has necessarily – great bat speed it's again passable it's going to be fine but he may run into against better velocity pitchers he may run into some troubles and he may not necessarily be in terms of his bat to ball ability he may not necessarily be a plus hitter but he has the tools in terms of his approach and his pitch recognition to be that if he's able to handle velocity better than i maybe think he will
2: matt what about you man talk to me a little bit about mccabe
4: um, I mean, I think he's going to be a plus hitter. He is a guy that I think somebody on Twitter compared to Bryce Ball, and I don't think they're necessarily similar because I think McCabe is a much better pure hitter than Ball ever was. Well, I think Ball came with more raw power in his game. Not that McCabe has low raw power. It's definitely an easily plus tool. But Yeah,
2: it's just that Bryce Ball is a man
4: giant. Yeah. So and McCabe is also a switch hitter. So when I made the comment that he's going to put up some ridiculous numbers in the low minors, it's a little bit what Garrett was talking about. He's going to feast on those kinds of pitchers. He's going to start to get challenged a little more once he reaches Double A. I think he'll be able to hit. He might not hit as well as what we've seen in what we're going to see in the low minors and what we've seen in college. But the bat is definitely real his feel for contact in the zone are significant enough where I think he will be able to cover up for not having the truly elite bat speed, but he's definitely my favorite pure bat in this draft for the Braves.
2: Yeah. I think that with McCabe's case, it's just going to all come down to just getting his timing down. Cause I, I think one of the reasons he's going to feast in the low minors is because especially in low A, if that's where they start him, which I'm, he's a smaller school guy and they seem to be willing to start those guys down in Augusta. And in low A, no one in that league can throw strikes. And you should see how Augusta wins their games. They get like four hits, but they get like eight walks and steal bases. It's it's Mickey Mouse baseball down there at times. And with a guy that he has a good enough approach where I think he's actually going to walk a good bit. And he's big enough and strong enough where I think the guys are going to be a bit scared to kind of groove a fastball to get over on strikes to him. So I think that overall he's going to end up getting on base quite a bit. And he'll be curious as to kind of what pitches he starts, you know, choosing to turn on and what choices he makes there, because it's going to come down to whether or not he can get his timing down on pitches that are inside that are attempting to kind of neutralize that power of his, you know, because where he gets a lot of that power is when he gets his arms extended. Can he get his hands in and still put the barrel on the ball? That remains to be seen, you know, and again, as a fourth round pick out of a small school, it very well could not happen, but, you know, at six, four and two thirty, and he, Looks the part, and he is super strong. Switch hitter. He's going to put himself on. He's going to be put. Should be putting himself in some good positions to, you know, be getting good looks at whatever pitchers like in front of him. Uh, we don't have a great sense. Uh, Matt, is he better from any particular side of the plate? I would assume he's better from the right.
4: Yeah, I think he's a little bit better from the right.
2: Um, I've, again, I've that,
4: seen I've
3: seen better from the right a little bit more power from the left that's what I've seen on him at least what I've seen in oh
2: records. he's oh so he's got so he's got the Aussie I got you okay uh, <laughs> well actually Aussie's power from the is insane never mind ignore that uh, but um, the point being is that it's um it, it, it just remains to be seen as to whether that when he's trying to get beat up when he's trying to be in, get beat inside, can he just get his hands in and stay on time? Because, you know, again, for a guy that big, you know, who's used to kind of get an extension to get the, to his power, you know, can he still get to those things if he, you know, he's to pull his hands in and still figure out how to get the barrel on the ball. Uh, one of my favorite picks in this draft was, uh, Ignacio Alvarez, who's a guy that we didn't have a ton of information on when he was first drafted. We got some more information after the fact, uh, third baseman out of Riverside community college in California, uh, Sounds like a guy who is ridiculously good with the glove at the hot corner. Uh, Six foot, 190. More of a hit over power guy, but a really interesting and frankly, I'm very curious as these picks work out. When these junior college guys and these really small and really small college guys. Uh, get into the system. A lot of them really flourish. The Braves are really good at identifying the small school guys, the JUCO guys. When they pick them, they end up being generally pretty good players. So, Matt, I'll I'll kind of throw it to you here on Ignacio because at least you knew his name and had heard about it when he came when he was picked. So, talk to us a little bit about him.
4: Yeah, he's the guy that you mentioned when you were talking about McCabe that we didn't really have much information on because I knew his name. And I knew he rose a little late, but I didn't really know much about him. He came out of high school last year, went to Juco, had a fair good year at Juco, but he really blew up over in his summer league this year, made it to the all-star game out there and won the MVP of the game. And it was that summer league performance and obviously that all-star game where he really pushed himself into being a day two type of pick. I mean, it's not like he wasn't a pick before this. He had a significant college commitment beyond going into the draft. So this is not just a guy who is blowing up based on just a short, short sample. But, I mean, he's a guy with some power. He's got good athleticism. Uh, I've heard he's an excellent glove at third base. So I haven't really seen that myself, but that's what I've heard. And uh, people out in Southern California, uh, specifically uh, SoCal Steve, who is a guy that, if you follow amateur baseball, is very well known among California baseball, uh, speaks really highly of him. So, I mean, that's really all I needed to know.
2: Garrett, what about you, man? Talk to me a little bit about Ignacio.
3: Yeah, I mean, he's not a guy that we know a ton about um, I watched a little bit of video on him and he has a, what I, what stands out to me is at the plate. He has a very loose twitchy swing. He's quick to the ball, you know, and he puts, and he looks like a guy that can really get to the barrel and put the ball in play. Um, I like the bat speed there, you know, and the reports we're getting are at the athleticism was great. And the Braves, the Braves have their guys that they like. And when they find them, they tend to do fairly well. And so I'm excited to see kind of what they have. And once we really get a chance to see him play, then we'll have a really good feel for what he is.
2: Yeah. I, I Everything I've heard has been very laudatory about the glove uh, at third, which it's, it's, a, it, it's a little thing. A lot of times, you know, the, the kind of the difference between a guy who is pretty good at third or pretty good in his position and a guy who's really good. It's just, you know, this early on, you can, you can teach so much. And I don't necessarily like to get hung up too much on a super high defensive tool, especially with like, like a guy like a Juco guy or a high school guy. Because There's just, you know, there's a lot of time between when they you know, when they get into the minors and then when they get to the majors that they can they can learn a lot and lots can change. But it's always nice to just see someone who's just like naturally really good uh, at, at at fielding, particularly in the infield, just kind of those real natural, quick reflexes and, you know, that that kind of instinctual stuff that's really hard to teach. Um, I will say that what I had heard is that it's more hit over power, but, you know, based on the the frame and kind of what we're seeing with the bat speed and just overall, I I think there's room for some strength there. I think that, and he hits the and I don't think he's hitting the ball... He's not a, you know hitting you know weak grounders and just beating them out with his legs or anything like that. I think that there's some room for some more power there. And once he gets into a pro system, maybe he makes a change or two to his swing to kind of get on a better bat path to drive the ball a little bit more. I think there's more there's more to him than just a kind of a hit over power hit overpower guy. But he put he makes contact and that this is you know the Braves you know that if you want a guy who's not going to be striking out a, a ton at least in theory, we'll see what happens when it actually gets to uh. When he gets into pro ball and how things go with pitch recognition and things like that, you always wonder a little bit about the level of competition with guys that are in JUCOs. But, you know, if everything goes well and they can just make some slight tweaks, the Braves might end up getting a steal at number five here. Well, we're going to get to the round six through ten uh, very, very quickly. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to take a quick break to listen to a word from our sponsors. All right, guys. It is time to talk about us. Uh, I would say three more of the more interesting picks that happened today. Um, and uh, there was certainly a couple of senior signs towards the back end here, but they were both—they're they're actually relatively interesting guys uh, as well. At uh, least be, you know, they, they'll be—you know—they'll have some utility in the Brave system going forward. But <laughs> I guess I'm going go to go to—we—I let Matt talk about Ignacio first. So I'll let Garrett talk about Seth Keller first. This is a prep arm that. If he was two inches taller, I think he's a, ends up being a day one pick, but he's not, and as a result, he's only five ten. But there's a lot to like about him. He has he has a really nice repertoire of pitches, really high like a performer out of a high school in Virginia. Again, if he's just a little bit bigger, I think he ends up going a lot earlier. What do you think?
3: Yeah, this is one of those picks out of this round that we really like, and we haven't in general been ones to write off guys too quickly based on size. We hung with Victor Vodnik until he kind of proved that he couldn't stay healthy. We were very high on Tyler Owens when he came out. And I think that we're going we're going to, as a group, say, let's see how he works as a starter and not really immediately jump to, well, he's a reliever because of his size. There is some effort in his delivery. There is some size issues. And so you obviously will have those questions. But the pitch mix in terms of the pure raw stuff, that starter stuff and that starter potential and. It's one of those situations where until he proves he's not a starter, he is a starter. And in terms of pure talent, I I love the pick here. And I think that this is one of those guys that we're going to get a really – he's going to be a guy that in a couple of years he's going to be high on lists. And people are going to look at that like, why was this guy available in the sixth round? Well, people were afraid of his size, but there's a lot more potential in there than what – you know, the numbers on his bio, might say.
2: Matt, I know you were excited about this pick when it was made, so I'll let you wax poetic about Seth Keller. Go ahead.
4: So people on Twitter wanted to to compare him to a couple other undersized prep arms the Braves have taken with this front office, uh, Victor Vodnik and Tyler Owens, and uh, I don't really think he's that similar to Owens. Owens definitely had a significantly better fastball. I mean, Owens' fastball was elite, not that Keller has a bad fastball, um, but Keller has a much better three-pitch arsenal than what Owens had. And Victor Vodnik, who who I think... uh, Vodnik might have been a little bit more electric, but he was also significantly more raw coming out of high school. I think... Uh, Keller also has a more well-rounded three-pitch mix than what uh, Vodnik did. I think uh, the thing that really excites you about Keller is he can get up to 95 and he's got the other pitches, but it's the fact that he's a two-way player and not just a two-way player. He wasn't even a starting pitcher for most of his high school career. I mean, this is a guy that was relieving and mostly playing shortstop and due to another injury in the rotation, moved into that rotation and took off as a starter. So he's an extremely low mileage arm with not many bad habits to break. So the Braves really get a clean slate and a guy that already has the stuff that they could really do something with. I mean, when you can spin it like that already and already hit 95, there's a lot to work with. So I'm thinking they're just betting on their player development, being able to really do something with a kid who just turned 18. So he's young for this draft class.
2: Yeah, I think the thing that's most exciting to me about Keller is kind of his – spin or lack thereof at his uh at, at his stage of development i mean you have that spin rate on a breaking ball the, the braves can like teach you hey this is the breaking ball we want you to throw and they'll they'll look at his size they'll look at his release point to figure out you know is it going to be a pure slider is it something that kind of those those two plane power breaking balls that they teach a lot of the guys in the minor leagues uh does he need to have a true curveball does he need to have both to kind of keep guys one off the other you know but i think with his speed rate that they, they, he's i mean kind of tailor made to ha- like have all the physical tools and that kind of a, that natural feel that you need to be able to throw a breaking ball effectively i'm really excited about the split change up because that thing is silly um i think it's a plus pitch it might end up being better than that as he gets more development and more time with you know pros and getting more innings under his belt again this is not a guy that has a ton of innings on his arm uh, he's not the normal high school arm that has just been throwing since he was twelve. You know, eight nine inning no hitters since you know for the last eight years. He doesn't have that same mileage on his arm. He has he has some real athleticism. The size. Look, are we, we we always give these give guys a chance. Uh, our, the track record has been a little spotty in terms of them staying in starters, but this guy can flat out throw. Can he's just can flat out throw. And I think that if you know again just keeping that athleticism, uh, taking care of his body. I, and again, without that mileage on his arm, I'm I'm very optimistic that this is a guy who could be really something, a lot of fun for, for Braves fans going forward. Next up, uh, and I'll, again, I'll go to you, Matt, here. Uh, this is an interesting pick in the seventh round. The Braves picked Adam Meyer out of the University of Oregon. Uh, and again, when people look at the seventh round college arm, they think of a guy that okay, and you know maybe he was the he wasn't their Friday night starter, maybe he was their second to number th- two or number three, but this is a guy that was super impressive for Oregon. Uh, and again, the, he had kind of a bit of a journey to get to Oregon, and seemed like he could have pitched his way into maybe even day one consideration, and then he gets hurt. And the brace for some I'm 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 very curious as to what the bonus amount for Meyer is because I think some money went here because he's a guy that I think that if he had gone back to Oregon and proved he was healthy, that would have gone significantly in the higher in the draft uh, next year. But decide to bet on himself a little or decide to say, you know what, I'm gonna just go ahead and get into the pros, you know, and you know, I'll be able to get to the majors relatively quickly once I get healthy. Matt, talk to us a little bit about Meyer, what kind of pitches he has in his arsenal and where you think he is.
4: I mean, this is a kid that is, uh, first three round arm. It's hard to really say he's a first round for sure, or even a third round for sure, because he has such a limited overall track record at a high level, but the stuff significant is significant and it definitely plays the injury and his past have definitely taken away from the looks against quality competition because he started out in Canada, uh, came over to the Cape Cod league after last season was canceled for him. Uh, looked very good uh, over there before he ended up deciding to go to Oregon, got to Oregon and through, what was it? 15, 16 innings this year. Uh, Something like that. Not many. Yeah. And he's got three pitches. Uh, I'm not sure the fastball ends up as plus. It might just be an above average pitch, but that's not really why you're drafting him. It's, the slider that could end up being the future plus plus offering. He's also got a change up that could be maybe a second plus pitch right there for him. Uh, the fastball is obviously the biggest thing that he needs in addition to just additional work against higher end bats, but You're talking about a day one, early day two arm that you got in the seventh round. You have to be thrilled with that, especially after getting a potential first round arm in Cole Phillips in the second round, late second round yesterday. So the Braves really added two guys that you could say maybe have some first round potential in them. And they didn't have to spend first round picks on them.
1: Garrett, what about you? What are your thoughts on Meyer? Yeah, this is
3: as a whole, he's kind of indicative of the Braves and what they're doing this year because this is very much not a safe draft. You know, you look at a college guy in the seventh round and you're typically, like you say, looking at, you know, kind of a low ceiling, you know, high floor guy. The Braves are just top to bottom saying, We're gonna take chances here. We're gonna get the most upside we can, and if it hurts us, it hurts us. And this is a guy that there's a ton of potential there and it's a matter of an injury. You know, the Braves are not afraid to take guys with injuries that they like. We saw it with Schwellenbach last year. We saw it with Phillips this year and you know we haven't, you know we haven't as a whole kind of seen how they've been able to develop those guys after those injuries um, because well, Schwellenbach isn't really back yet, but they're not afraid to take a guy that slid because of injury and, Meyer is, you know, at this position, you could argue in the round seven. Other than, you know, those really expensive, you know, prep arms, you could argue that this was the most talented person, player available, and they got him in the seventh for what we assume will be a premium. We assume it's going to be overslot here, but he's not going to be like a bonus pool busting player here. He's going to be a guy that's going to cost money, but he's going to cost a reasonable amount of money, especially given the upside that he represents.
2: Yeah, and I also think that you know now that he's going to be rehabbing and he's going to be in the Braves organization rehabbing. I'm very again the Braves are good about just kind of understanding biomechanics. They've been good about getting to guys' velocity and you know getting the, their delivery to be more efficient and to be able to kind of deliver energy in ways that are that is productive. Um, I'm very curious as to what happens once I get him into rehab and they kind of. They they almost rebuild him the way they want him rebuilt, and in doing so, that would allow them to kind of, you know, add strength in places that may allow to, that fastball to play up a little bit because the breaking ball is very good, and I like the changeup as well, but same as Matt. Uh, the, the fastball, he you know, for the way his stuff plays, he just needs that kind of riding fastball at the top of the zone just to, again, kind of get that different look. But if he's able to get that pitch, and again, he doesn't have to throw 98 to do that. He just needs, you know, he just kind of needs that life at the top of the zone because then all of a sudden it's really hard for hitters to defend, particularly against the quality of his breaking ball. Uh, overall, just I was, I was very happy with the pick. Again, one of those picks that just kind of – you you look and you go, well, he, that guy is hurt, you know, and then you start thinking about like, well, if you're looking for value and you're looking for upside and you're wanting to get the most for your money, I mean, the Braves, you know, they're, they're looking for those market inefficiencies. And, you know, in this draft, it was hurt pitchers. And while they, you know, only drafted two, right? One, two, yeah. Two, two guys that are currently on the shelf. They picked two guys that have a ton of upside and both would have been drafted significantly higher if they had not gotten hurt. So, you know, going after, going after guys that they like, but not having to necessarily break the bank to do so uh, it's an exciting pick to me uh we are now at the money saving b- portion of the draft uh for rounds eight through ten uh we do have some guys that are probably saving the guy saving the braves some bonus pool money uh potentially maybe for a play on day three i don't know we're not exactly sure what the bonus pool situation is quite yet but we do they generally speaking the braves do grab at least one guy that's a little bit over slot on day three uh but Garrett, I'll throw it to you first on Jason Franks. Uh, this is a, a fifth-year senior. Seems like a relief arm out of Cal Poly, St. Louis, Obispo. Um, not 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 an interesting relief arm, but it definitely feels like a relief arm that was kind of picked to save them a little bit of money.
3: Yeah, I mean, this is a money-saving pick for me, you know, and a guy that you know we hope he'll kind of be he'll kind of go to low A and we'll get a better feel from him, you because know, this isn't necessarily a guy that we have a ton of film on either. We know. You know what he is, and we know that there's just there's command issues. There's been some command issues in the past, and we saw him do a lot better this year. And if that's true, you know, if that's his real talent, there's definitely potential there. You know, we we his fastballs decent, and overall, you can't be, be given the money that we expect that he's going to get here. You can't really be mad with a guy that could potentially be a middle relief option, right? I
4: mean, yep. What about you, Matt? Yeah, I mean, uh, he's a guy that throws up to 95. He really emerged this year. He didn't really pitch much or well last year, and when he did, he really, really struggled with the walks. He cut his walks significantly this year, and that's what helped him take off a little bit. But with his age and the fact that he's a pure reliever, and I don't really think he's a potential closer either uh he's a clear money saver but uh there's definitely at least something to work with so when you're taking the money saver it's really about just getting at least something that you can maybe work with
2: yeah i don't think that anyone on this call would be surprised if franks ends up making it to double a as a reliever after that it's kind of up to him you know he's gonna have to miss bats he's gonna have to you know throw strikes when he needs to rather than you know giving up too many walks because if you walk a bunch of guys uh, and you just are consistently unreliable in the bullpen. Uh, those are the kinds of guys that get cut fairly quickly. But if again, this is this is an arm that has the stuff to be a reasonable bullpen arm. I wouldn't necessarily bet on it as a senior sign, but at the same time, you know he's certainly not un, uninteresting in that role. And I could see him going through the minors and at the very least being decent organizational depth in the minor leagues on the reliever side um next we're gonna go to uh the ninth round pick which is Corey acton out of the university of georgia i am certain that a lot of braves fans were happy about that because a lot of braves fans are also georgia fans uh the second baseman out of georgia again another senior sign bats from the left hand side again not a guy that's going to move the needle a whole lot from prospectum uh the braves have certainly made picks like this in the past with kind of i guess uh not particularly strong but you know at least they play hard middle, middle infielders that can get something going. Uh, Matt, talk to me a little bit about Greg, uh, Corey Acton, like rather.
4: He was actually a very, very big prospect coming out of high school back in 2019 before he went to the university of Florida played a lot there as a freshman and he didn't really light it up, but he was okay. Uh, obviously 2020, he had a good Cape Cod league though. Uh, Came back in 2020 and uh, played significant, but obviously it's a very small season. Didn't really do much, but obviously small sample size. Came back last year and his job was just significantly cut. He did average-ish. He didn't really stand out, but he clearly had lost his job. So he ended up transferring to Georgia. Had a solid year. Didn't really stand out statistically but uh the tools don't really stand out at this point like i think they were projected to out of high school Uh, he would have been a much higher pick out of high school but um at this point he's more of probably an orton guy that you just hope could maybe find what people had hoped were in there coming out of high school with him but the makeup is an 80 grade so obviously he's the kind of guy that the team wants in the system
0: Garrett, what about you, man?
3: Yeah, the Braves are known for kind of in this range. They always pick up a middle infielder or two just to fill out the depth at the lower end of the system. And, you know, we've seen with a couple of guys that are depth, you know, players that they've done well. A guy like Cody Milligan that we've seen do very, very well for himself, even though, you know, he's not a guy that's a major prospect, but he's a guy that's played his way into some attention, you know, and that's, you, you see that with Acton as a guy that, He's gonna, he has the intangibles type thing you talk about, where you hope he's gonna be a good influence on the field with a lot of these younger players, and you know put up good at bats, and you know and the next thing you know, a guy like that can work his way to Double A, and you're looking at him going, hey, if this guy can hit, then suddenly that's an interesting name. You know, he's not gonna be expensive, and getting a guy in the middle infield in the team in the system is always nice to have a few of those.
2: Yeah, if one of your senior signs is a guy that has a ton of experience actually playing in the field up the middle, uh, isn't is going to help kind of your maybe your higher, more prominent pitching prospects get through tough innings and, you know, not have to be able to navigate those kind of longer innings and get out and avoid those situations. He's not going to put up embarrassing at-bats. There's certainly not a lot of ceiling with him. If he were to figure out – he'd have to figure out a few things, uh, just particularly just kind of the, the quality of his b- batted balls and things like that, that he could t- be relatively interesting. What it does seem more likely is a guy that, again, he could move relatively quickly. It wouldn't shock, I think, anyone here if he like went to low A and performed well. Uh, but may- maybe he plays his way to – I, I don't ever want to say a guy could never make the major leagues, but if this is a guy that turns into a quad A player and is in the minor leagues for a, a little while as a potential guy at, you know, double A AA or triple A that, you know, at the very least helps that team, makes that team better, even if there's not a lot of upside there, I wouldn't be surprised if Corey Acton is that guy, because again, he has some prospect pedigree as Matt was talking about. So Finally, in the 10th round, uh, interesting pick. Uh, they went with another catcher out of Southeast Missouri State University, out of Missouri, obviously, in Andrew Keck. Uh, I will say that I think the Braves do like Keck quite a bit, particularly as an in- a senior sign, a guy that's cheap that can actually play the position and a position that's kind of hard to come by uh, having guys that actually know what they're doing. So uh, that's, for uh, again, for a senior sign, getting a useful guy there in the 10th round. Garrett, I'm going to give it to you before we let Matt finish it out. So tell us a little bit what your thoughts on Keck before we r- wrap this thing up.
3: Yeah, I mean, I guess the Braves really like those Missouri catchers because they went with another one. Yeah, that's you not know, the not number we, two one. We love – you know, you got to have a lot of catchers in the system. You, know, you draft a lot of pitchers, someone's got to catch them, and this is a guy that – you know, we like the power potential here. This is a guy that can hit the ball a long way, and if you can get a catcher into the system and you can get a guy that has that power potential because if a guy can hit the ball a long way, that always represents an upside. And having a guy with that power potential upside that can catch, there's nothing wrong with
0: having it in the system, especially for a cheap senior side. Matt, what are your thoughts on Andrew Keck? Uh,
4: pretty much the same. I mean, he's another guy who emerged this year. He ended up hitting by far his career high in homers this year. Uh, but he's an interesting catcher bat because he's significantly more athletic than most catchers. I mean, this is a guy who steals 10 bases at least uh, a year, which you don't find out of catchers on any level, really. He's also played some outfield. So there's that. Both that athleticism and that extra versatility. Even though he is going to be a catcher, or at least get the first chance at catching, but there's some bat, some power, some athleticism, some versatility. He's definitely a guy that I'm excited to take a chance on with a money saving pick.
2: Absolutely. Again, this is kind of a guy that I mean, you know, with with senior signs, a lot of times they almost get for by by observers there's almost kinda of throwaway picks because it's not super often that they work out as like, you know, significant players of the major leagues. But one, these guys are often very important in the minor leagues, kinda of getting those guys with lots of experience to help shepherd younger prospects through the system and, you know, teach them this is how you this is this is how you do workouts, this is how you get ready for games. All those things matter. And you know, having a guy like a, a particularly a catcher with like, you know, working out working through game plans, getting used to, you know, pitchers you know the the communications between high school pitchers and their pitching coaches are vastly different than you know the communication between catchers and pitchers on a day-to-day basis so kind of getting used to the kind of having that battery get that that mutual learning of one another you know like tendencies and things like that all those things are important and so I think that again having a guy who has some real experience and also has some there is some upside I wouldn't call it like the the chances of it paying off in a big way particularly high but he can play uh and so, you know, if you if that's a guy that's in your system that has a chance to maybe down the line, if he moves relatively quickly and you know can actually show that power off, like this is a guy that could theoretically be a backup catcher catcher in the big leagues. I don't I don't know if I put high odds on that, but that's still someone that for your senior sign pick hard to argue with. So uh Garrett, I'm gonna go to you first before we kind of go to Matt for some kind of what your thoughts are for you know going into tomorrow. But Garrett, you know, tomorrow is a little bit of a different animal. There's no like quote-unquote senior sign uh, type situation. Rounds 11 through 20, they have the same cap. So walk our listeners a little bit through how the rules work for rounds 11 through 20, what we can possibly expect to see from the Braves before we go to Matt to talk about some guys who we might be looking forward to
3: for tomorrow. So rounds 11 through 20, you have a $125,000 cap on all of your picks. You can go over this cap, but anything over $125,000 is counted against your bonus pool. So if you sign a guy for $200,000, that $75,000 difference does go against your bonus pool. Typically, the Braves pick up a few prep guys here that are in that situation, and you'll see a lot of teams in this 11th round do that because if you take a guy in the 10th round and he does not sign, you lose that pool money. Whereas if you take a guy, one of these prep guys in the 11th round, he doesn't sign, you don't really lose anything, you just don't get the pick there. So you'll see a lot of prep guys start to go in this situation, and this is where the guy, the Braves got guys like Joe Estes, Von Grissom, Mackay Backstrom. Um, you know, overall, I don't really know necessarily know what to expect going into the third round, but what we've seen from them so far in previous years in those late rounds and what we see from them so far in the first 10 rounds this year i have a lot of hope that they're going to be able to get at least a couple of guys into the system that they like um and then typically in your 19th or 20th rounds they kind of go for a guy that's uh they can very very unlikely to sign but let's say one of their guys in the upper rounds pulls out they might have some extra money to throw his way like let's say for whatever reason cole phillips decides he doesn't want to sign the money breaks down there, they would not have extra money to throw at a guy in the 20th round to make up for losing that pick. And it's a guy that you can just talk to before he goes to college and say, Hey, we like you. We're watching you. If you're around in three years, we're interested. And so you'll, you'll see them do that probably in the 19th or 20th round there.
2: Yeah. I will say that generally speaking, the Braves like to sign as many of their picks as possible. So those kind of those, those kind of like follow, follow me, you know, courtesy picks Don't happen quite as much anymore, particularly with the 20 round format, but you're right in the sense that, you know, if they have, we will know if there's a potential signing problem, I think, Uh, if there's a potential signability issue. It doesn't sound like it. Dana Brown did note uh, after sometime today that he he expects all the picks that were made yesterday and today that they should be signed within the next 72 hours, which I'm going to be shocked if they're all signed in that amount of time. That's kind of wild to get all those guys signed that quickly, but Who who knows? Maybe they they, they kind of have everything lined up and they have a system in place because a lot of times it's just kind of like a series of visits and it kind of drags out a little while. And it's something we rely on because uh, Garrett's uh, signing tracker is something that is uh, a very highly trafficked article on our site. So, you know, if they sign everyone within 72 hours, that's going to be a little bit anticlimactic and he's going to have to get busy, I think, getting that signing tracker together to be able to keep up with all that. (laughs) Um, But uh, one thing to note, too, is that there is a new role place, a couple – uh, that Well, it's an old – it's a new old rule or old do rule um, that uh, – it's called draft and follows where essentially the way this works is that a team can pick a guy that is going to a junior college. And you don't have to – the signing deadline doesn't technically apply to them. And the way it works is that that player is eligible to be signed by the team that picks him. For up to two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars, all the way through next year's draft. So if they go to a junior college and you're watching him and you realize you like him a little bit more than you thought, and that you maybe you didn't want, you know he didn't want to sign for one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars, but you didn't want to pay him any more than that. But you maybe were willing to pay a little bit more uh, if he showed some things in junior college. If he goes to that junior college. You can come to terms, let's say he goes to a junior college and he pitches a little better or he hits a little better and you guys say, okay, we, we, we can offer you $200,000 now and that doesn't mess up your bonus pool too much. You can do that now. And this is something that scouts used to like. It's a weirder version of the system right now, and I don't think a ton of teams are going to be doing it. I suspect the Braves will maybe give it a shot with one of their last picks uh, just to kind of see how the system works and see if they like it. I think they have a couple guys in mind for that pick. We'll see if that's actually how it plays out. But my hunch is that they're going to at least test the system out to see if they like it. But, Matt, this is where we kind of cue you up because now we're in a spot where it's the 11 through 20 range. Uh, signability isn't the biggest issue. If they don't sign, it is what it is. Uh, they have $125,000 head start on any sort of bonuses they need to give. I think we've you and I have talked a little bit. There might be, depending on the math, it's close, that the Braves might have a little bit of money to play with here on day three, that we might see a, de- a decent signing or two. Uh, Other than guys who are kind of maybe college guys that are just getting that $125,000, but are really good kind of filling out the minor league rosters types. So tell us a little about some guys that you're kind of looking forward to and curious what's going to happen with
4: on day three. So obviously we don't know how much money is left. I think there might be a little bit of money, but I don't think that there's going to be a major amount. I'm kind of thinking... Uh, maybe maximum, just a pure guess on my end, maybe a $250,000 type bonus sound right to you? Maybe. And again, it's it's so hard maybe. to tell because, yeah, because, because they have some guys,
2: like we don't know what the bonus for Cole Phillips is. We don't know what the bonus, Adam Meyers, another weird one. There's some guys, like we think that some guys like McCabe and Baldwin, like those might be slot guys, right? But after that, once you get into the Juco guys, uh, we saw, we, there's some guys that were like, like Keller and Meyer, they're probably over slot. I just don't know by how much. Um, so they, they have a little bit more money to work with because they had a larger bonus pool that 5% number is a little bit bigger too. Uh, I, I think they have a little bit of money that they might be able to, you know, splurge a little bit, but I'm not expecting a million dollar guy on day three. I, I'll just put it that way.
4: Yeah. I can't see that happening at all, but, um, uh, I I think they're going to try to take some more pitchers, uh, specifically left-handed pitchers, because they usually try to do a fairly even job uh, at getting some from each side. And we haven't really seen – we've seen the wrong right-handers, but we have not really seen them go that big on left-handers yet. Yeah, there's, yeah,
2: yeah have they picked one? I don't think they've picked a single lefty no, this year. They have
4: not yet, not one. so I'm fully not expecting some of those tomorrow probably some more bats. So I could see an outfielder in there since there's not a single one in this class that you project to the outfield unless they happen to have to move there in the future. So I, I definitely see at least one or two outfielders, uh, maybe two, maybe three lefties being picked in those picks. Uh, and I could definitely see whatever money they have left instead of maybe going bigger on one guy which isn't really that big overall but maybe trying to spread it around kind of what they did today where instead of going with that one big guy they just try to get as many talented pieces as they can afford at this point
2: yep i could definitely see that happening and it's gonna be really interesting to see how it goes But that's pretty much all the time we have for tonight. I know that the home run derby is about to start. I know Matt's going to watch that. That's one of his favorite events of the year. Uh, I'm sure Garrett's going to watch some of that as well. My hunch is that he's probably going to pass out halfway through. Uh, And he also has to get to work tomorrow. It's been a very, very busy couple of days for us. We will be covering day three of the draft tomorrow. We will be having a podcast after uh, going into the feed tomorrow night as well to talk about day three and kind of recap our thoughts overall. I think I speak for all – all three of us when I say that so far the Braves draft class is looking very promising. We're very happy with the result at the moment. We'll just want to see, we want to kind of reserve total judgment, uh, good or bad until the end of day three, but overall things are looking really, really promising. So make sure you check out the site and should make sure you keep an eye out on the podcast feed. We'll have a day three recap post for you on the site. And then we'll obviously have the podcast as well. If you want to make sure you don't miss a single episode of the Road to Atlanta podcast, make sure you subscribe to the Battery Power podcast feed on whatever your preferred podcast platform is. Google, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever you use, just search Battery Power and you will find this podcast. You'll also find our flagship show hosted by the great Brad Roland, co-hosted by some other people, including myself, as well as Scott Coleman, and guests uh, you'll also get the Daily Hammer, hosted by the great Sean Coleman, which is your da- kind of your daily getting caught up on what happened in last night's game podcast. And then I really hope they name this show soon because you know the the calling it the unnamed show, uh, unless they actually that's what the title of their podcast is, and that'd be funny. Um, but th- we also have a new show that's more of a you know, kind of a deep dive into like one or two topics type of you know dealing with contracts, dealing with you know issues with or you know roster considerations and things like that. They kind of dig down into a couple topics each week, and that show's been great. And that's hosted by Stephen. Tolbert and our fearless leader, Chris Willis, who has continued to be invaluable day in and day out for the site. And we thank him so much for his service. We frankly could, we we, we can't be trusted to be, uh, run the site by ourselves. And fortunately we have him to run things and he's also an incredibly insightful guy. So make sure you check out that podcast. If you haven't listened to the, the, the new podcast on the feed and make sure you're visiting the site. Thank you all so much for all the support on the podcast and for the site. It's been amazing over the last two days, but until next time, we'll see you on the road.